Welcome. This is John Hulsman, and this is the Around the World in 20 Minutes additional podcast for the week because there was so much news I thought we needed another one. The Australia-UK-US agreement, known as AUKUS, is the big geostrategic news of really the week and indeed the past decade. This is a defense pact, uh, nothing less, between Australia, the UK, and the US. More importantly, it signals the ascendancy of the Anglosphere, a long derided term that I helped come up with 20 years ago. As the Anglosphere rises through AUKUS in the Indo-Pacific, the key region of the world, we see the EU falling. And this does a lot to explain France's position. Uh, the French were indeed born to be offended. Uh, they like nothing so much as being offended, but they also possess as a political class a real understanding of geostrategy, almost unique in Europe from their great power days. And the reason that they're acting as though their hair were on fire because their deal with Australia to create nuclear submarines was abrogated, the reason they're acting as they are and petulantly storming off home, recalling their ambassadors, is because they see a real sea change in power. And they're right about this. Because Australia, confronted with the reality that it was going to have to deal with an expansionistic China in the Indo-Pacific for the foreseeable future, chose to side with the Anglosphere, a group that many people in the EU, and certainly the EU commentariat that I deal with, don't even acknowledge exists. Let's go back a step and look at the Anglosphere for a minute. About 20 years ago, a very small group of us came up with the notion that within the Western Alliance, there were two or three basic groups. There was the United States, the European Union, and then the Anglosphere, being another group headed by the UK, but also involving Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the old Dominion states of the British Empire, and that these groups were rather distinct and often came to very different foreign policy conclusions. Whereas the EU is now hamstrung by German mercantilist neutralism and French Gaulism, uh, linked in with Atlanticism in the northern and eastern parts of Europe, leading to a big total of nothing, uh, no agreement whatsoever, on the other hand, the Anglosphere is resolutely about the rise of China, the key geostrategic issue of our day, resolutely pro-American, pro-Western, actively anti-Chinese in the sense that they want to contain China's rise in the Indo-Pacific and willing to act together. The reason so many people who are EU cheerleaders hated the idea of the Anglosphere and derided it has to do with the fact that it is a rival a rival option for America's attention, and a rival alternative for the British. If you acknowledge their alternatives, then the EU isn't the God-ordained future that EU cheerleaders secretly hope it is. If indeed the UK and the US have options, maybe the EU isn't the inevitable go-to alliance partner that it has always talked about, almost in quasi-religious tones by EU commentary of cheerleaders. So instead, what did EU cheerleaders do? Predictably, what anyone does, and I've been a debater my whole life, when you have no argument, you attack the man. And they've attacked the notion of the Anglosphere. It's been seen as a Churchill tribute act, as a bunch of reactionary old white guys who believe in the speeches of FDR and Churchill, live in the past, and aren't seeing the future, which is ties between the EU and the US. This is what every right right-thinking, center-left being, EU personage, meaning the foreign policy establishment of Europe, which is dominated by Wilsonians, what they think, and what the American center-left Wilsonians tend to think as well. And they all meet together in a group with me as Banquo's ghost, as the outlier, the skeptic, 
And they say, obviously, anybody who believes this reactionary nonsense is missing the point that we are the future and U.S., U.K. and Anglosphere ties are the past. That all sounds nifty is a nice little bedtime story, but it doesn't approximate reality. And 20 years ago, noticing these common patterns of the Anglosphere, I decided to intellectually hit back. And AUKUS, in many ways, is the crowning triumph of the Anglosphere notion that not only does it exist, but Australia and the United States and the UK choose it as the primary means of combating Chinese expansionism and not the hapless EU, condemned as it is by economic sclerosis, political division, and military impotence. That isn't the case of the Anglosphere. It seemed even 20 years ago people were missing the plot. First of all, foreign direct investment, which is the name of the game in our globalized era, uh, is highest between U.S., U.K., and Anglosphere nations. For instance, the U.S. is the largest foreign direct investor in the U.K., and vice versa. So far from being the past, these trading patterns flow from the commonalities of the Anglosphere, which we'll get to in a minute. That's point one. Point two is the incredible geostrategic point that over the three world wars of the 20th century, World Wars I, World War II, and the Cold War, every single member of the Anglosphere always sided together. This is the Butch Cassidy point. We may bicker, we may argue with one another, we may fight, but we all come out shooting the Bolivian army together. This is true of the US, the UK, New Zealand, Australia, Canada. And this is a market point. It shows that these cultural similarities translate into geostrategic similarities time and time and time again. When the chips are down, we are always on the same side. And so this is a key point. The third point is there's already an institutional expression of the Anglosphere that is so prevalent, no one even talks about it or thinks about it nearly enough. And this is the Five Eyes Intelligence Consortium, where every week, the five members of the Anglosphere, the US, the UK, Canada, New Zealand, and Australia, share open signals intelligence. Again, like little kids with baseball cards, we show each other what we've learned in terms of intelligence and share intelligence in an open sourced way. You can only do this with people you trust. You can only do this with allies you expect to be allies for generations ahead. Once you've traded information, you can't get it back. And we've always traded information precisely because we know, come hell or high water, we'll all be on the same side. And this is the foremost intelligence consortium of the world. Indeed, honorary Anglosphere member, Japan, which has had close ties to the UK since the 19th century Meiji Restoration, where in modernizing their country, Japan looked to the UK, and then sided with the UK in World War I, this honorary member of the Anglosphere now wants to join the Five Eyes and be seen as part of this cultural phalanx moving forward. So rather than being the past, it occurred to me even then that in terms of geoeconomics, geostrategy, and intelligence gathering institutionally, the Anglosphere not only was real, but how the world really worked. Well, I went to meeting after meeting, which was a Kafka novel with a bunch of Europeans who would intone piously Despite their economic sclerosis, despite their political division, despite French Gaulism and German neutralism, the, the United States could only look to Europe as its primary ally. This strikes me as abject nonsense. And as the 20 years, as the generation has passed that I've been doing what I do, this has become more and more and more the case. This brings us up to AUKUS. This is the single biggest strategic play in the last decade. 
Australia, the UK, and the US have in essence signed what used to be known as a defense pact, that they're going to share nuclear technology far into the future. Up until now, Australia worried by the rise of China, and as they should be, China has decided to make a lesson of Australia. And this began when Australia had the temerity, the Morrison government had the temerity to question the origins of the COVID virus and say we should establish an international commission to investigate what happened starting in Wuhan with the COVID virus. The Chinese shrieked as though their hair were on fire and immediately began punitive sanctions, economic sanctions against barley and other interests of Australia. Let's remember that much of Australia's economic gain over the last generation, where it has had quarter after quarter of growth has been as an entrepot of natural resources for the engine that is China. So this was a brave thing to do indeed. And the Chinese immediately struck back and said Australia must be put in its place. Seeing the writing on the wall, Australia went to the French, who have a very fine military, and said, we need to buy diesel-powered submarines from you to patrol the Indo-Pacific as the Chinese encroach upon the South China Sea and the East China Sea and the Indian Ocean. We need top-of-the-line submarines. Well, the French won't say this now, although if you look back in their newspapers, and I do, it's clear that this deal was already running into trouble, that the French weren't going to be able to meet their timelines for the deal. But Australia, along the way, the Morrison government realized that it needed nuclear-powered submarines. The only problem with this is that you have to share nuclear technology to do so. Australia does not have this technology. Indeed, only seven countries in the world have nuclear technology. But lo and behold, for the Australians, two of the countries that have nuclear technology are Anglosphere members, the UK and the US. And so now it is clear that what happened was the Australian government went first to their Anglosphere ally, discarding the EU and going to the Anglosphere ally, the UK, and saying, we want to get out of our deal with the French for diesel submarines, and we want to acquire nuclear submarines. Can you help us talk to the Americans in proper Anglosphere fashion? And the British indeed did speak with the Americans, and it took a while to go through the American system. Prime Minister Johnson deserves credit for making the deal bigger. It's not going to just focus technically on building Australian submarine, nuclear-powered submarines, big deal though that is, but also on technological support in the future, dealing with cyber issues, dealing with AI issues, dealing with cutting-edge, future-oriented issues. Again, not a Churchill Tribute Act, but the future. And these three countries are lockstep together. Now, let's go through this process. The French also have nuclear technology and could indeed have sold Australia nuclear-powered submarines, but they weren't prepared to, nor were the Australians prepared to ask. On the other hand, Australia is prepared to ask the UK and the US. What is the difference? The difference is the Anglosphere is founded on cultural commonalities. Australia, the US, the UK, Canada, New Zealand, et al., have in common a common language, which is incredibly important, have in common a common democratic institutional view coming out of the UK, have in common beyond democracy a different view for the rights of the individual. In the Anglosphere, the individual matters far more than in centralized Europe. Yes, there are human rights here, but they often are secondary, and I say that as someone who lives in Europe. They are not primary as they're seen in the American Bill of Rights or in a frontier society like Australia. 
And so this, this love of the individual, this more open free market system, and the Anglosphere indeed is much more capitalistic than a corporatist Europe, a different form of capitalism, a different form of democracy. Within the democratic family, the Anglosphere is more about human liberties and human rights. Within the capitalistic family, the Anglosphere is more about free markets than the EU is. Yes, they're all democratic, but that masks the commonalities of the Anglosphere. And then there are the cultural ties. From all of this, we see the world in a similar way, where individual rights matter more, where capitalism matters more, where, frankly, freedom matters more. I remember coming upon the idea of the Anglosphere when I worked at the Heritage Foundation along with the Wall Street Journal. We did an index of economic freedom. And one year when we added up the 10 freest economies in the world, seven of them were colonies, former colonies of an eighth, the UK. Far from being the past, this was the notion that I came upon the notion of the Anglosphere, why this mattered. Because this was the future. This wasn't a Churchill Tribute Act. At the time, seven of the freest world's economies were colonies of former colonies of an eighth, the UK. This was cultural patterns, rule of law, common legal system, common democratic views, all fusing together into a freer, more dynamic society. Now let's go back to our submarine case. The reason that Australia went to the UK and then to the US to share nuclear technology is because once the genie's out of the bottle, once you've shared nuclear technology, you can't unshare it. That country that you're bestowing nuclear technology on will remain nuclear and have that capability forever. And so you have to be awfully, awfully sure that country will be your ally forever, not neutralist not hesitant, not diddling around, but a fundamental ally forever, sort of like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And the reason it was so easy to make this deal is Australia is part of the Anglosphere, a card-carrying member, part of the British Commonwealth, and nobody doubts for a second that if there's a war in Asia over Taiwan, the UK, the US, and Australia will all come out shooting together, and that these three countries, short of war, and God hope that we keep it short of war, will help contain, along with honorary Anglosphere India, very different colonial heritage, but again, part of the English-British common law system, Japan, another great power, honorary member of the Anglosphere, that these are the countries at the front line of containing the rise of China in the region of the world, the Indo-Pacific, with the most growth and also the most danger. That in this key pivotal region, Australia, the UK, and the US can count on each other to be allies forever. These cultural ties are not some secondary academic consideration. They are fundamental to how policy works. And we can see this in the Australian decision. The UK immediately says, yes, they don't say, we'll never let you have our technology. Let's go talk to the Americans who say, sure, Australia has been our friend for the last 120 years and will be our friend for the next 120 years. So we're fine with sharing nuclear technology in our submarines to give them the top of the line submarine and actually to make a forward looking defense pact. None of this you'll hear in a Chatham House briefing, in an FT briefing, in a Guardian article, in any of the many conferences I'm forced to attend, where the EU is seen as the received religion and the obvious ally of the United States, that America has no other options, I've heard this so many times, no other options but to look to the EU and thus to placate the French and the Germans. The reason that the people who love the EU are acting like their hair is on fire, the French being the prime example, 
Germany says ever navel gazing about their election and their business interests. But the reason this is such a big deal is that this is saying refuting an entire almost quasi-religious EU point of view, which is that they are the obvious indispensable partner of the United States. In the Indo-Pacific, Australia has proven they're no such thing. And there is this larger geostrategic point to make. Europe will continue to be economics, economically sclerotic. There's no sign of dynamism on the horizon at a macro level. It will continue to be politically divided as a three-way German coalition will get very little done. The French will continue on their merry Gaullist way. And the Northern and Eastern Europeans, along with Italy, will be Atlanticist, meaning a whole lot of nothing. No agreement there. And it will continue other than France, which has full uh, military capacity from war fighting to peacekeeping. It will continue to be unable to do much of anything militarily. Politically divided, militarily non-existent except for France, economically sclerotic. It is the EU and not the Anglosphere that is the past and not the future. That is why Australia chose to go with the Anglosphere and why it was so easy in policy terms to facilitate that nuclear technology transfer because of cultural commonalities that are so deep that no one even bothers to talk about them or look about them. Indeed, with AUKUS, we see the rise of the Anglosphere, which is the biggest single geostrategic story of the year, and the fall of the EU. America does indeed have an alternative, and in the Indo-Pacific, look at the Anglosphere countries and the U.S. to take the lead in containing China, with the EU playing a secondary role, talking about free trade deals, and passing dismissive statements that matter not much at all. Because without an economy, without a common political view, and without an army, nobody much cares what you think, as the Australians just made palpably clear. This is how societies rise and fall. It's these decisions that matter. Behind AUKUS is this common cultural commonality of the Anglosphere, an idea that 20 years ago was laughed at as a Churchill Tribute Act, but indeed I feel entirely vindicated on this wonderful Saturday, because far from being a Churchill Tribute Act, the Anglosphere, as the Australians have shown, in the key region of the world, is the future. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, I certainly enjoyed doing it. Uh, for those of you who haven't subscribed, please do so. I'm honored so many of you have and that our Substack connection is booming. Those of you who have already subscribed for free again, for $7 a month, the Starbucks fee, we can continue to do this for you more and more and more as this fascinating world very quickly changes, as AUKUS showed. And I'd love to do this as we switch more and more of our content over to paid contributors. Please do not miss the boat here, because not only do we have a good time doing it, unlike the cheerleaders for the EU, we're actually right. So for $7 a month, please do subscribe for our yearly fee. That will do the trick. And on the Substack honor system, we'll continue to do that thing that we do. Thanks very much and have a great weekend.